0: As happy as a butter clam When tides are high I sing A grateful ode to Puget Sound The land of everything I love it from Tulalip To Puyallup Squim and pished, And to the Docey Wallops Where so many times i fished From Brynn to the Boca From Lamy to La Push and from the lordly sawduck to lovely Duckabush, from Samish to Sammamish, Suquamish to Quillasine, the climate is so friendly. It's a land that's evergreen.
1: Hello, and welcome to the History of the Evergreen State podcast. I'm your host, John C., and thank you for listening to episode nine the pioneering Nyland family of Old Ozette. I originally intended episode 9 to be about the Adams County seat of Ritzville, but after I looked over the script I had written previously, I didn't really like the flow of it, and I thought I could put more information on it, including, in particular, more information on the Volga Deutsch people, or Volga Germans, as they were sometimes called back in those days. And I'm waiting to hear back from a few historians from the area as well as the museum, and I'm trying to find a couple long out-of-print books so I can hopefully beef it up with some more info on this unique group of people. So until then, that episode's going to be delayed, and in its place, I've decided to run this one on the Nyland family of Old Lake Ozette. Before I get into their story, though, uh, I'm recording this the Saturday before it comes out. I Normally, I try to record it a day, before, a day or two before it comes out, but I'll be out of town. I'm going to go down with my wife to Long Beach. We're, we got a hotel down there in El So I'm going to check out a bunch of small museums down there. And of course, go to Fort Canby, Fort Columbia, and Fort Stevens. Great stuff. Speaking of forts, I actually just got back from going to the opening, or the reopening, I should say, of the Puget Sound Coast Artillery Museum at Fort Worden. They had been closed since the pandemic started last year, and they had yet to reopen. They did so today, and let me just say, it is fantastic. A few volunteers spent a lot of their personal time uh, touching up the interpretive displays and fixing the lights and doing all kinds of restoration, and it looks really good in there. If you've never been over there, it's in Port Townsend. I highly recommend it. It's definitely worth checking out, and Fort Worden as a whole is worth checking out. The hike up Artillery Hill is pretty sweet. Just at dawn, one calm May morning in 1895, a carved high-prow Macaw Native American canoe pushed off the beach at Nia Bay. Heavily loaded, the big dugout carried five white passengers, Ander and Johanna Nyland and their three small daughters, Hulda, who was four years old, Inga, who was three, and little Annie at just ten months old. Ander Victor Nyland, a stocky Finn, was born in 1854 in Helsinki. He was a ceramist by trade. He married Johanna Eriksson, a young Swedish girl. Seeking better opportunities in the New World, the Nylands migrated to Seattle in the late 1880s. Several Scandinavian families had already settled in the remote Lake Ozette region on the Olympic Peninsula in the newly formed state of Washington. And when Ander Nyland learned about the colony... He decided to acquire a 40-acre homestead there and took his family to join the group. The Nylans left Seattle, traveling by steamer to Nia Bay, where they met some macaws who agreed to transport them down the coast to Cape Olava in return for some gold pieces. From Cape Olava, they would have to walk the three miles into Lake Ozette. Several days passed before the macaws were willing to start the trip, for the wind and the tides had to be favorable to make this hazardous journey. Eight tribesmen paddled the canoe out the Strait of Juan de Fuca and passed inside Tatouche Island beneath the towering cliffs of Cape Flattery. Their destination? Cape Olava, the most westerly part of the United States, which is approximately 25 miles south of Cape Flattery. Skillfully, the macaws maneuvered their long craft through the waves that were on the reef just north of Ozette Island, and at last... They slipped into the partially protected bay at Cape Alava, where they nosed the canoe up onto the beach. The time had been chosen carefully. They arrived with a full flood tide. Ebb Tide here exposes a formidable reef covered with loose rocks and enormous yellow granite boulders. This reef, when the tide is extremely low, enables one to walk out to Ozette Island. Although today few traces remain, an Ozette Native American village extended for nearly one quarter of a mile along a flat bench just above the narrow sandy beach. As the canoe carrying the Nyland family came ashore that day, Ozette tribesmen, who were friendly to the whites, crowded around in great excitement. Ander, assisted by the macaws, unloaded his things from the canoe while Johanna opened her basket and spread out some food on a log. Before the family ate lunch in the warm May sunshine, the devout couple gave thanks for their safe arrival. The Nylans bade the macaws goodbye and prepared to start the long hike into Lake Ozette. Andrew strapped onto his back a crate of chickens brought down from Nia Bay in the canoe. Then he knotted a wide wool scarf around his neck, making a sling in which he carried Annie. Johanna carried Inga, and Hulda walked as they slowly climbed up from Cape Olava on the old Native American trail. The path wound through a thick, virgin forest, but halfway to Lake Ozette, it emerged onto a natural clearing. Later, the clearing came to be known as Alstrom's Prairie. This old Punchin Trail remains virtually unchanged today. Many times that afternoon, the nylon stopped to allow the children to rest. But after three hours, they emerged from the forest at the north end of the lake. There, the Palmquists, who were expecting them, met the weary party and escorted them back to their farmhouse, where they served coffee, freshly baked bread, butter, and jam to Andrew and Johanna and milk and cookies to Inga and Hulda. Soon after the Nylans arrived, the Ozets presented Ander with a carved, high-prow canoe. For years he used this canoe to travel on the lake. It would be a long time before he acquired a powerboat. Often the Ozets paddled up the river and stopped by the Nyland farm, and frequently they held gatherings on Eagle Point near Erickson Bay. The 40 acre homestead tract that the Nylans had acquired was one quarter of a mile north of Lake Ozette on the Ozette River. On this land, there was an abandoned three room house which served as a temporary home for the family until they built a larger one on higher ground. It turned out to be less than temporary because the family ended up living in the small house for nearly a decade. Ander worked hard to clear his land for garden space and then to earn much needed cash to purchase supplies for his family. He went to work at 10 cents an hour in a mine at Port Blakely. Sometimes he was away from home for months at a time. One spring, while Andrew was gone, the Ozette River was swollen by heavy rains and ran over its banks. To save their cows from drowning, Johanna herded them to higher backland. The chickens were brought up on the porch, and fortunately, the water stopped rising just as it reached the top step of the porch. Johanna Nyland was a courageous woman, but life was very hard. A son, born the first year they arrived at Ozet, died at birth and was buried unnamed near their home. A second boy, Alfred, would be born in 1898. Then came Ida and then another girl who died in infancy. By 1904, Ander was ready to start building the new house. Holda was 13 years old and she worked beside her father. They felled trees and chopped off the limbs with a broad axe. They chained the logs, and Hulda led Billy, their draft horse, as he dragged the logs one by one to the wide clearing. Hemlock and firs grew on their land, but for cedars, they usually had to go some distance from home. They needed the cedars to make siding for the house, as well as shakes for the roof of the house and barn, and also for the sides of the barn. The house, built on a foundation of thick cedar logs, slowly began to take shape. Furs were split lengthwise into wide boards, planed, and fastened down with wooden pegs for flooring. Heavy beams of hemlock were curved with an adze and became the supports for the second floor. This was no crude structure, but a large house with six bedrooms. On the first floor was a big kitchen with a pantry, a parlor, and a bedroom, on the second floor were five bedrooms opening off a central hallway. The bare board walls were covered with newspapers, but over time they would be pasted over with flowered wallpaper. Outside was a balcony with an elaborate hand-carved railing, which was made for Ander by his friend Edbo of Royal. Finally, after almost a year's work, the Nylands' home was completed, and their friends gathered for a party to celebrate the occasion, Each family brought food for a festive feast. It was customary for a farmer, when he killed a cow or a hog, to share the meat with his neighbors. At first, the Nylans served only fish and game. Ander stretched a net where the Ozette River flows from the lake and when he lifted it out, heavy with fish, the water would be black with their wriggling forms. Much of the fish would be eaten fresh, but the rest would either be smoked or salted down in barrels. In the forest, Ander found deer, Wild Game, and Upland Birds. On Lake Ozette, he found ducks and geese. Lake Ozette is the most westerly lake of any size in the continental United States. It is more than 10 miles long, irregular in shape, and has a number of bays. At the upper end is North Bay. On the east side are Deer Bay, Umbrella Bay, Swan Bay, and Boot Bay. Just south of Boot Bay is a jutting promontory called Preacher Point and at the end of the lake is South Bay. On the west side is Allen Bay, where a post office was established in 1892. Above this place, the old cemetery would be started in 1904. Farther to the north is Erickson Bay, then Schaefer and Eagle Points and Bloom Bay. At the upper end of the lake, two old trails lead out to the ocean. The south trail goes to Sandy Point, and the other to Cape Alava. Each is three miles long, and if one wishes to make the triangle, they may walk along the beach for approximately three miles. It is on this stretch that one passes by some interesting petroglyphs at Wedding Rocks, which are also known as Whispering Rocks. Among the homesteaders who lived around Lake Ozette were the Palmquists, the Borseths, Erickson's, Gersteads, Allen's, two families of Peterson's, four families of Weston's, Two families of Jacobsons, Petersons, two families of Olsons, Christiansons, but they are not related to me, Samuelsons, Wishmeyers, and Tivoli-Nelson. K.O. Erickson operated a store where the Olympic National Park now operates a campground. Once a week, mail was carried on horseback from Clallam Bay to Royal, which is about 10 miles from the lake. From there, it was either taken on foot or by horseback to Lake Ozette where it was transported by trail or water to Swan Bay, and by boat across the water to the Peterson Post Office. Ander and some of the others subscribed to a Swedish newspaper in Seattle. This was their only contact with the outside world. Just to put this into perspective, five days elapsed after McKinley was assassinated before that news reached the isolated community at Lake Ozette. Allen, who ran the Swan Post Office... Was a jolly person with a bushy white beard, and the Nyland children thought that he looked just like Santa Claus. After Alan's death by drowning, Ander Nyland carried the mail for nearly a year. One December day, while he was making a delivery, a sudden storm turned the weather bad and he did not return at the usual time. Johanna was worried about her husband's safety, but she tried not to alarm the children. She asked Hulda to take the lantern and walk the quarter-mile trail through the dark woods to meet her father. Twice Hulda started out, but each time the wind blew out the lantern and she returned to the house in tears. Johanna instructed her to mind the younger children and watch the batch of bread that was baking in the oven, and then she went along the path to the north end of the lake. The wind was stronger than she had realized. Trees were toppling, and at Coal Creek two of them narrowly missed her. To her relief, Andrew was there waiting. He had barely managed to keep his boat afloat on the storm-frothed waters north from Eagle Point. After that incident, the two post offices on the west side of the lake were discontinued, and one was established at Umbrella Bay with Henry Belden in charge. Educating the Ozette Pioneer children presented quite a problem. Holda's and Inga's first schooling began when they boarded with Mrs. Erickson for three months. This was the Erickson of Erickson Bay. A niece in that family was the teacher. For six-month periods during the next two years, the Nyland girls attended school in the Borseth home. The following year, a Miss Kaywood conducted school in a house one and a half miles down the Ozette River, and daily the children walked the forest path. In 1902, when Holda was 11, school was conducted in the three-room Nyland home. The children had many instructors during those early years for the teachers usually found Lake Ozette far too isolated and lonely, and most of them stayed only a year. There were three men, Scott, Heckman, and Brenniger, and two young women, a Miss Borst and Ida Krotz. These teachers were paid the handsome sum of $30 a month. A one-room schoolhouse was built across the Ozette River near the Mulholland place. Here, Alfred and Ida Nyland went to school. This building burned, but would eventually be rebuilt, but today there is not a trace of it to be found. The Nylans were devout Lutherans, and Sundays were set aside for quietude and reading the Bible aloud. Other days, however, were filled with bustling activity, for there was always work to be done around the farm. The stock had to be fed, cows milked, eggs gathered, and there was always the large garden to be planted and constantly weeded. When the crops ripened, the fruits had to be canned and vegetables processed for winter storage in the root cellar. Hay had to be cut and put into the barn. Once a week, Johanna and the girls gathered up all the soiled clothes and carried them down to a shed by the river. There, over a fire on the stove, they heated gallons of water in an oversized copper boiler, boiled the clothes, scrubbed them with big bars of yellow homemade soap, rinsed them several times, and then hung them up to dry. This was quite the process and took all day. The next day was always set aside for the ironing. Flat irons, heated on the big range and grabbed by handles, were used until they began to cool. Then they would be replaced with hotter irons. Johanna insisted that each piece, even the many sheets, must be carefully pressed. At first the Nylans bought wool from their neighbors, but soon they acquired their own sheep. Johanna carted the wool and knitted or crocheted the yarn into caps, sweaters, socks, and undergarments, usually with fancy patterns, and she taught the girls to knit. The spinning wheel Johanna used was brought from Finland by her brother, Ernest Eriksson. Johanna had been an expert seamstress when she lived in Helsinki, and she sewed constantly for her family on a small hand machine that was given to her by Mrs. Jacobson of Ozette. Of at that time, there were plans to build a railroad spur into Lake Ozette from Clallam Bay to Swan Bay. Surveyors and timber cruisers needed lodging, so to add extra income, Johanna took in boarders. Her incredible cooking soon became the stuff of legend. She bought a big cast iron range from the palm Quists and baked bread every day using old-fashioned dry magic yeast. With the bread, there was always freshly churned butter, plenty of milk and cream, Cheese, vegetables, pies and cakes, and for meat, there was beef, pork, lamb, and poultry. Fish was always available for the taking from the Ozette River, and wild game was plentiful. All basic supplies, flour, sugar, spices, salt, coffee, tea, matches, and kerosene for their lamps, was ordered once or twice a year from Washburn's store at Nia Bay or at Clallam Bay. These things had to be packed in on horseback or by foot. One summer day when the Nylans hiked out to Cape Alava for a picnic, Ida Nyland caught one of the ponies which the Ozettes had left behind when they abandoned their village. She led the half-wild pony back to the farm and succeeded in breaking him into a fine saddle horse. Occasionally one of the timber cruisers who had been boarding with the Nylans was allowed to ride his horse back to Clallam Bay. Ida's instructions were simple. Just hang the bridle of the saddle horn and turn him loose. Invariably, the animal would return to the Nyland farm, even though sometimes he would have to travel all night. New Year's Eve was always an exciting time at the Nyland home, for then they had a huge party. Their friends came from around the lake and from as far away as Royal, which is a pretty good-sized journey from the Upper Dungeness-Royal Creek area. Furniture was moved out of the parlor, and 20 to 30 guests danced to rollicking Scandinavian tunes played by Lars K. Allstrom on his accordion, Schaefer on his violin, and Al Danielson on his mouth organ. Precisely at midnight, a big supper would be spread out, and the new year would be welcomed with zest. Since it was far too late for the guests to return home that night, the men slept on the hay in the barn while the women and children were put up in the house. When Hilda was 16 years old, Ida Kratz, who had been teaching at Ozette, asked her to live with the Krotz family in Puyallup for a year. They walked the 25 miles to Clallam Bay. From there they went to Seattle by boat and to Puyallup on a train, the first Holda had ever seen in her life. The next year she lived with the Ericsons, who had moved from Lake Ozette to a chicken farm on Clover Creek in Parkland. Then for the following 6 years she worked first for the Woodburn family of Puyallup and then for the Pauhamus fruit cannery. In 1914, Hulda Nyland married Harold Sullivan. During the years following their marriage, Hulda and Harold used to visit her family out at Lake Ozette. They walked from Clallam Bay, stopping at friends' homes along the way. Hanging time seemed a good time to go home, for then they could all help cut and put it in the barn. The barn was built after the house had been finished. It was a huge structure with six-foot hand-split cedar shakes. Inside were stalls for the saddle and draft horses and for the cattle, and there was storage space for tools and equipment. Annie Nyland married John Swenson in 1918, and Ida married Charles Keller the next year. Then in 1921, Inga married Stark Evans. That same year, a wind of hurricane force tore through the forests of the Olympic Peninsula, felling hundreds of trees in a wide swath, some of which barely missed the Nyland farm. Unfortunately, Ander Nyland passed away quite suddenly in the summer of 1920 at the age of 66. He would be buried in a little fenced-in graveyard near the family's home. That year, Alfred had a serious bout with influenza. One day, while he was still recuperating, he made the ill-fated decision that they needed some cedar fence posts, and he set off down the lake in his boat. A fierce wind blew up, making the water rough. Alfred did not return home. All the next day, a search party looked for him, but after his boat was found, it was presumed that he had drowned. The girls were all gone, so Johanna made the decision to remarry. Her second husband was named Mr. M. Norby, a widower who lived with Ed Bowes at Royal. Because, as Johanna said, the old house held far too many memories. The Norbys made their home at Swan Bay. Johanna Norby passed away at the age of 74 in 1935, only three years after her remarriage. She was laid to rest in Port Angeles. In 1936, some hikers were making their way through thick woods not far from the shores of Lake Ozette, but off the regular trails when they happened upon a skeleton, seated with its back against a tree. Identification of the skeleton as that of Alfred Nyland was certain because of the clothing, a watch, and a double cartridge matchbox which had belonged to his father, Ander Nyland. Only 25 cents was found in the wallet, and since it was believed that he had carried about $200 with him the day he failed to return home, a thorough investigation was launched by the Clallam County Sheriff. But the manner of Alfred Nyland's death remains a mystery to this day. He was buried beside his father in the little family graveyard. Gradually, all the Lake Ozette pioneers except Henry Borseth moved away. It is quite difficult now to realize that at one point in time, nearly 200 people lived in this remote region of the Evergreen State's Olympic Peninsula. The Nyland home was left vacant after Johanna married Norby. During the ensuing years, it would be occupied by timber cruisers. During the Second World War, some United States Marines were billeted there. Their trained dogs, numbering about 30, were used to help guard the coastal area. Kennels for these animals were put up near the Ozette River Bridge close to the lake. After the war ended, the Olympic National Park took over this coastal strip between Cape Alava and the Queets River, and included in this land was the old Nyland homestead. Today, vast Lake Ozette is known mostly for its natural beauty and solitude. Ozette Lake remains the largest unaltered lake in the evergreen state. The forest has reclaimed almost all the homestead sites. The forest has reclaimed almost all of the homestead sites. This once vibrant Scandinavian community, hacked from the dense forests surrounding Lake Ozet over a hundred years ago, has now been reclaimed by the nature the homesteaders fought so mightily to contain. Their experience today can be felt when you hike the Cape Olava Trail. This trail starts at Ozette Lake and ends at Cape Olava and allows you to walk in the historical footprints of two distinct groups of peoples the macaws, who once had a large fishing village near the Cape, and the Scandinavian homesteaders that came beginning in the 1890s. Today, where these communities once thrived, there are only whispering forests and crashing waves. The Nyland family home and barn are long gone, but the family plot is somewhat easy to imagine. The land this family once called home is located behind the Lake Ozette Ranger Station. You might have noticed that I did not talk a whole lot about the macaws and their role in the area around Lake Ozette and Cape Alava, and that is because I am currently researching and putting together an episode on that very subject. I didn't want to mash the two sides together in a hodgepodge episode, and the macaw certainly deserve their own episode without the impingement of Scandinavians and other groups of people at the end of the 19th century. Shoot, this area is home to the Pompeii of the West, discovered in the 1970s, which in and of itself could be an entire episode, so look for that probably sometime early next year. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review. Some of the sources I used for this episode include the Seattle Post Intelligencer, HistoryLink.org, the UW Libraries, the Port Angeles Library, Washington Rural Heritage, ExploreOlympics.com, JSTOR.org, and the National Park Service. Thank you for listening to Episode 9, The Pioneering Nyland Family of Old Ozette. Episode 10, of course, will be released in two weeks, with episodes releasing every week in October, with some sort of dark or spooky theme attached. A special thanks goes out to Al Hirsch for providing the music for the podcast. If you have any questions about the show, please contact History of the Evergreen State Pod at gmail.com. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do, so you can be notified when new episodes drop. And until next time, I'm your host, John C. Stay safe out there, everyone. There's
0: peace on the Skakomish, on the Queeds and on the whole. There's on the Nisqually born of ageless ice and snow. A land that nature loves so much, she stays the whole year round. I trade a royal palace for a shack on Puget Sound. There's Chimicum and Stillicum, where spouts the gooey duck, the singing stillaguamish and the swirling skookum chuck, and Moclips and Copalis, where the razor clams abound. A little bit of heaven is a shack on Puget Sound. A little bit of heaven is a shock on Puget Sound.